The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Those are verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34, which is the passage under consideration here during this season of Lent 2022. <clears throat> You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing to talk about the attributes of divine mercy that are um, listed here in this passage from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. So today we are we're moving on. Yesterday we, we considered the word merciful, um, but which is much better translated as compassionate. Um, because it, 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 it emphasizes, compassion emphasizes the individual uh, nature of, of that attribute. There, there's, a, there's a relational issue that there whenever you speak of compassion as opposed to mercy. There, there's, a, there's an affinity that's there that is expressed primarily in the incarnation. So that was called rahum. And as I said yesterday, that's, that, that uh, is only ever used of God in the entire Old Testament. So today, what we're going to talk about is this other thing, this graciousness, and how does that differ? And so one of the ways in which they attempt, and some of the rabbis attempt to explain it, is um, compassion applies when it's not a time of crisis. It's before the crisis surfaces. He has compassion so that it does not surface. The crisis doesn't surface. So the things that are averted, as I said yesterday, it's the difference between, yes, I'm guilty, and, and the sentencing phase. So the penalty is less because of God's compassion. Hanun means that he shows grace during a time of distress to redeem a specific kind of person, one who cries out. <coughs> And it, it's, it's in, um, he shall surely show grace in response to the sound of your cry. It's, it, it means that he has no choice at some level but to show that grace when he hears the poor man's cry because he is indeed gracious. This is exactly what he says in Deuteronomy. And so it, it's, he, he listens to the cry and responds to the cry. And it's what he did with his people in Exodus. He, he heard the groaning of the people, and he responded to their groaning. Sometimes it, it requires us to ask in order to receive. In, in, the Deuteron- in Deuteronomy 4, 23 to 21, that passage is Moses' um, skepticism that the people will continue to follow the Lord when they come into the land. And he says, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children, and you've grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. In other words, there'll be a remnant. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But 
From there, you will seek the Lord and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, Hanun. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Now, so there, there, there's two covenants, right? There's this covenant that Moses is speaking of it is the covenant that God made with the children of Abraham, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then which ratified everything on Mount Sinai with this group of people. So that's one covenant. There's another covenant that's a covenant with all humankind and all, in fact, all the earth. We see that covenant that, that I'm talking about that's, that's in addition to the specific covenant with Israel. We see it with the way God treats the Babylonians, the people of Nineveh, when, uh, when Jonah preaches to them and they repent. We see it there. Jonah hated that. He, didn't, he wanted that covenant that, that Israel had with the Lord to be an exclusive covenant. He did not want God to show compassion or mercy on Jonah's enemies, and he did. And then God goes on to say that there's X number of people there and also much cattle. So he's showing mercy not just on the people, but also on the cattle in the same way that he proclaims the covenant in Genesis 9 after the flood with the bow in the clouds to be with all flesh. And so there's a certain kind of covenant God has with all flesh, all who are created specifically in his image. And so when God hears his image bearers crying out, he hears. And his goal in that would be to restore them and to bring them into the larger covenant, which is exactly what the work of Jesus allows, is for us to come into that other covenant. So this Hanun is there, and it's available to those who cry out. And we see it in, in not just there. We see it in other places as well. We see it in Genesis 21, when, when Hagar and Ishmael are driven away the second time. <laughs> She went away and sat, she, Hagar, went away and sat down opposite him, Ishmael, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. So we know she lifted up her voice and wept, but God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. So he wasn't the one through whom the covenant was going to be passed from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From Abraham, it was not going to go to Ishmael. No, it was going to go to Isaac. But that doesn't mean God didn't care about Hagar and Ishmael. And so here we see God cares for them. He shows loving kindness to them in that he hears the voice of the child and of Hagar and responds to that by providing water and for making a sort of promise that he will make him into a great nation. It, th those are important things for us to realize is that, that God is has a basic covenant with all flesh, and it's particularly with those created in his image. The, the Jews will refer to that as a Noahide covenant. We don't have to care about Noahide covenants because we have a covenant in the blood of Christ.
So Jesus is our covenant maker, but the Jews see that all flesh, all those created in his image, actually have value to God. And, and so they say, no, you can come in through the Noahide covenant, that you'll participate in the life to come. You won't be kings and queens, but you can participate in the life of the world to come if you keep these few things that are in the Noahide covenant. So that that's how that works from their perspective. We see it as God's general covenant with all those who are his image bearers, who he also then desires to bring into the covenant of his son. So we see it in, in a different way than the way they do. It, the, the idea here is, is that, that we see in, in other people the image of God. God sees his own image in us. And so when God loves us, he's loving those created in his image. And, and we're intended to have that same attitude and the same reaction to others in distress as God himself would. And that's part of the issue here is, is that, that God can act directly, and he had to there with Hagar and Ishmael, and he had to with his people in Egypt. But sometimes he acts through us. We're intended to be his image bearers in every way. We're intended to be devices sometimes that God uses to accomplish his purposes on earth. He doesn't, miracles are extraordinary ways in which God acts. It's more uh, typical that he would send one of us to do something that we are intended to hear those cries. And, And to the extent that we hear those cries of others, we are also intended then to make those known to God. But loving your neighbor as yourself is one of the ways in which God shows mercy to us all. Is sometimes he shows mercy directly and then sometimes indirectly through human agency. And so we have to be equally thankful either way that God's people were there. And then we have to make ourselves available for when God hears a cry that we can respond to directly. But, but it's partly our job to make those cries known, to amplify the cries of those who are suffering and in pain. And, and so the, the way that they see this, Hanun, differing from Rakum, it is that. It, it's the, the penalty phase is already there. It's already been gone through, and now they're suffering. And so when the suffering happens, then the, the crying out to God happens, and, and God's desire is to alleviate that suffering. It's it's because he doesn't want us to suffer unnecessarily. Much of the law to do with animals even uh, is designed so that there wouldn't be unnecessary suffering. One of the great rabbinic debates is is that that you're uh, supposed to, if you can catch baby birds, you're to drive the mother away and take before you take them out of the nest. And then the question becomes, well, why is that? And so one of the answers that that some of the rabbis will come up with is to say it's not right to make the mother watch you take their children so there's this compassion and this mercy and this this um, sense of don't cause undue suffering that permeates so much but does god want you to capture those baby birds and the answer to that is also no he doesn't if you could drive a mother away from a nest, she's going to do everything she can to protect that nest. When I was ordained a deacon, the, the day before, I went over to the church to practice for it, and I came in the back part of the church so I could come in through where the 
the sacristy was. So that that's where the vestments are kept. It's where the choir rehearsed and all that stuff. So I came in that way. And when I did, I got knocked off my balance as I'm carrying my vestments in and everything. I got knocked off balance and I thought, what the heck? And about that same time, then I got knocked off balance in a different direction. And what had happened was there was a mockingbird that had made its nest in the holly bushes that were right next to the church. And, and that thing had flown at me from each side to get me out of there. Even though I'm a lot bigger, it it wanted to get me away from its nest. And so, yes, it's not to cause undue suffering, but it's also to say, don't eat the baby birds because you got to drive the mother away from the nest first. But there's there's always this this thing about not causing undue suffering. You're not allowed, for instance, to chop off a leg of an animal and eat that and make it a three-legged animal. Um, there, there's all kinds of things where we're supposed to not cause undue suffering. And God, although God doesn't have feelings, <laughs> right, like we do, that he still has a desire, as it were, to, to see kindness done rather than undue suffering. And so he responds when his people cry out. God heard the groans of the Israelites. He saw the Israelites and he knew. And, and then when he knew, that, that word, particularly word for knowing there in that thing, it is the same word that we get when it says that Adam knew Eve. So it, there's an intimacy of feeling involved in that. It, it means it, it, it's, it's, it's a empathy, which is to say that there's a connection between the two. Now, here's a great way. This is probably the best way to illustrate what this what this looks like to say, you know, I, I'm going to hear the cry of this person. Jesus tells a, um, a parable in Luke 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And that's the principle of Hanan. This crying out to the Lord, continually making a complaint made known before the Lord, he said Jesus promises he will give justice speedily in those situations because he sees and empathizes, and I know that's dangerous language and I don't mean it exactly the way it sounds because God doesn't have those feelings. So that's exactly what it is. But it's not weakness. It's not, it's not God saying, I can't bear the sight of other people's suffering, because sometimes suffering's good for us, and we know that his son suffered. And he didn't respond to him right away. Jesus is suffering in the garden when he's praying and asks the Lord to remove this cup from him, if it's his will, but nevertheless, not my will but thine. And he says, I know you can remove this thing. It doesn't have to end this way. And I'm asking you, telling you that this is not what I want. However, I am submitted to your will. And then from the cross, he cries out, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22. And yet Jesus dies. Why? Because that was his mission. 
It was in order that we might live. But in his humanity, he cries out. And in God's love for us, he waits for the resurrection. It's a powerful concept to think that, that our crying out to the Lord in pain and suffering actually matters to him. And, and what it impels us to do, what it calls us to do, is to be a people of prayer, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of others as well. We're given the, the right, the responsibility, and the joy of praying for other people and crying out on their behalf. And so we have to be, sometimes, we have to amplify the prayers of others who are in pain and suffering. And God is so strong that he can act against the desire for strict justice because of love for his people. It's a powerful, powerful idea that, that the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords can identify with those who are created in his image in such a way that, that he would have taken on flesh to show us the depth of his love and to go against his own strict justice in his son dying on a cross, the most unjust thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, in order that we might be saved. That's the kind of mercy God has for us. He understands our pain. He understands the difficulty that we go through. And he responds to the pain of his people in their suffering. In a world that we know is unjust. In, in, the, in the Hebrews passage from uh, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So all suffering doesn't result in God alleviating that suffering as soon as we cry out. Because if Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering, then our suffering sometimes can be redemptive as well. It can be character-shaping as well. Um, we have to learn that we do live in a fallen, busted, and broken world. And then how we do that, how we navigate the pain and suffering of our lives, can we continue to give glory to God in the, in the times of pain and suffering? Or do we collapse and cave under that? Paul says we should embrace it. Paul, Paul embraced it. He embraced suffering. He says, I fill up in my, my body that which is lacking in Christ. In other words, there's still suffering to endure for the church because it's a witness to the world to watch Christians suffer as Christians. That we don't constantly complain, that we don't constantly drag that around. And I've been around too many people who do. They drag their pain around all the time, and it, it, it's never healed. I can remember years ago in a, a, a small group that I was asked to lead, first day of, of Alpha, which is basic overview of Christianity. And, and then in the group, the, one of the guys there who was a Christian said to me, um, can you explain to me why my daughter died? No, I can't. I, I don't know anything. Well, it turns out that she had a serious drug problem and all this other stuff. Um, I, it's, it, I, I can understand at a human level why you're asking me that question, though. 
in spite of the fact that that we both know that that she brought on a lot of that stuff herself as a father though i still see the pain that's in your life but i can't give you the answer to why she died and why you have this pain today it's it's not as simple as that sometimes what we just have to accept is we live in that fallen busted and broken world it will be redeemed and changed it will become new. We will see justice done eventually, and we will see the world and the life that we really believe should be because we know that a good God created all these things. But, but what we know now is that he hears our cries, and he heard the cries of his people for a Messiah. He heard the words, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he responded, to that cry, just as Jesus did when he heard um, the blind man in Jericho and said, what do you want me to do? And he gave him the mercy that he asked for, but only because he continued to cry out even when he was told to shut up and stop doing it. But it's, it, don't stop. But make your complaint known to him. Don't complain about all this stuff to everybody else. Make known your need and ask for prayer. But don't make your complaint about God to other people if you think that he's not being fair, just, and righteous with you. So it's, it's our job, then, to join you in crying out to the Lord on your behalf. It, it's important that we be the kind of people who are like this, that we desire to alleviate suffering whenever we see it, that we would be like God's character in that way.